Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Hello, I'm Oud Gallifrey from the Occulte Veritatis podcast. You are listening to Dark Poutine, a podcast about Canada's creepier side. With hosts Mike and Scott, enjoy. Thank you to Oud Gallifrey from Occulte Veritatis. We are talking with the folks over there about doing an episode or two together at some point. They're Canadian as well. Yo! I'm Mike Brown, creator and host of Dark Poutine. With me as usual is my good friend co-host, sound engineer, and man averse to reading books, Scott Hemingway. Analog. Analog. Well, what do you, what do you do? You, you, I, that's a tough question, Mike. So you don't read. Uh, Reading is so 1901. Did you just pick that date at random? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'll read words as long as they're in digital form. Okay. If the words from a book are on a screen, cool, I'll read it. What if, if the it's words, in a website? What if yeah. the words are go shit in your hat? Then I have nothing else to do but go shit in the hat. Oh, nice. Yeah. So uh, first, a uh, couple of shout outs. Uh, we've had a lot of interaction from people. Uh, some people sent us uh, intros uh, like the one that Ood did. And uh, we have so many, we are going to have to do a bunch more podcasts to get to everybody. <laughs> it's kind of fun. We yeah. even even got some from uh, Australia and and uh, and somebody uh, who shall remain nameless said my name wrong. <laughs> Did me. she or have you been wrong your whole maybe, life? Maybe my name is Matt. Yeah. I think that's probably it more could, likely. It could be. Yeah. But, you know, she went through the effort of actually doing it. So we might use it just as is. She no, has I responded. Think we, I think yet. we need to. Yeah. Well, yeah. anyway. Uh, so some five-star reviews on uh, on iTunes. Uh, H-N-T-R-T-H-M-P-S-N, Hunter Thompson, who I thought was dead. What a fitting, uh, what a fitting reviewer for this uh, episode. This is bad country. <laughs> uh, he gave us a five star review, uh, saying, "I love this podcast so far," and made our fun of our pronunciation of Putin. And I know it's it's actually Putin, uh, but uh, I want to avoid being accused of being a Russian sympathizer because it sounds an awful lot like Putin. <laughs> Putin. You know what would also be cool? Rootin' tootin' Putin. A Russian synthesizer. Did I say synthesizer? No, no, you didn't. But that's what I heard in my head. A Russian synthesizer. It's very Soviet. (laughs) It just has one key. And it it has to wait in line for toilet paper. Ayo. Ayo. Uh, Isla 224. I think that's her legal last name, by the way. It has to be her legal last name. 224. Uh, She said she recently discovered the podcast and is hooked. And you may be more hooked after this one. Because, because drugs. Teehee. Uh, anyway, uh, cue the trippy vocal effects. Woo, woo, woo. Uh, let's get to it. 
Dark poutine is not for everyone. Our content in this episode contains mature themes, colorful language, and depictions of drug use. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Dark poutine in no way advocates the use of any drug recreationally, experimentally, outside of the close observation of a doctor or other qualified <laughs> professional. LSD specifically is not a drug to be trifled with on your own. But always, always trip with a friend. And, and if coincidentally you happen to be high while listening to this episode, hey, let us know how it sounds while high. We're, I'm not advocating. So if accidentally you ingest Ac- something. Accidentally, which you shouldn't. You should not. But if you did. Yes. Before this warning, just let us know. Let, let us know how the episode sounded whilst high. Exactly. <laughs> the intent of this episode is to share another bit of dark Canadian history, and you'll see. Uh, your hosts are in no way experts on any of the topics we present, although I may have some experience with this one, <laughs> uh, nor are we professional journalists. We just want to entertain you with the stories we tell. Please employ your sense of humor. So put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Animo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine, man. <laughs> Goo-goo-goo-joob. <laughs> Take this, brother. May it serve you well. like what i did with the uh, intro i i i personally have never done lsd hell i i don't drink yeah. I, I don't even i don't do anything anymore i, I don't smoke I've weed been clean and sober for a very long time i i and again never done lsd but i like to think that is the that would be the soundtrack to it to my lsd trip had i ever done it that intro well our last couple episodes really took a lot out of us and some of our listeners, uh, especially <laughs> people like my wife said, oh, my God, I don't know if I can listen to another one like that. <laughs> and it was because, you know, the murder of children is not something I personally can do every episode. I don't know about you, Scott, but uh, it was really tough. No, no. And I think that's probably a good thing. I think if somebody can <laughs> yeah. tackle that day in, day out, Yeah, that that's heavy shit. Yeah, I, I would be concerned for either their sanity or uh, to leave them alone with anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in this episode of Dark Poutine, we're giving ourselves a break from murder altogether. Well, there's talk of suicide. I do mention Manson. Mm, okay. Well, yeah. yeah. There's connections to okay. Manson. Yeah. So, uh, but it's very quick. Um, anyway, we're going to talk about the trip trippier side of dark Canadian history. Um, This time we're talking about the psychological, medically supervised LSD experiments that took place here in Canada. Uh, Specifically, we'll focus on Al Hubbard, known as Acid Al, and the infamous Hollywood Hospital, uh, sometimes also referred to as Hollywood Sanitarium. It used to stand on the ground of uh, grounds of Woodlands, 
a psychiatric institution just across the bridge from us here in New Westminster, British Columbia. Is this uh, Al Hubbard in any way uh, connected to uh, L. Ron? L. Ron? No, oh, but yeah. I, maybe they visited the same planets together. I don't know. <laughs> I get it. Here's another cool clip. Number nine, 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 number nine. So ironically, uh, as you probably guessed, this is uh, episode number nine, uh, which happens to be uh, also a lyric from a very trippy song called Revolution Nine by the Beatles from their 1968 iconic White Album. And here's where we're going to talk about Manson a little bit. The White Album is said to have influenced the recently deceased Charles Manson's LSD-soaked brain, helping him to create his helter-skelter philosophy. Mm. So if you read the book by Vincent Bugliosi called Helter Skelter, he really gets into uh, a lot of... I don't know how really widely known all this stuff was or that it's actually been verified mm. or whether Bugliosi just used it to... You know, say, well, Charlie said kind mm -hmm. of thing, but because yeah. it was a lot of he said, he said, she said. But anyway, uh, this helter skelter philosophy is which, uh, what apparently led to the Tate LaBianca murders in 1969. Those happened just days after I was born, actually. Mm. Uh, this is often cited as the beginning of the end for the 60s and the peace and love revolution. So we're going back a little further than that. And, uh, you know, we're going to tackle the beginning of the 60s. The beginning. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. LSD, LSD-25, or lysergic acid diethylamide. I'm, I can't pronounce that. Diethylamide. Lysergic acid diethylamide. Okay, sure. It's a drug of the psychedelic variety. The term psychedelic is derived from the Greek words psyche, meaning mind, and delian, to manifest, mm -hmm. translating to mind manifest, manifesting. Deep. Deep. Uh, it is derived from a chemical in a fungus called ergot and uh, found on rye grain. So, interesting. It was first synthesized by Dr. Albert Hoffman at the laboratories of the Swiss pharmaceutical company Sandoz Laboratories on November 16, 1938, while looking for a new respiratory and circulatory stimulant. Nothing was done with the ergot alkaloid derivative at the time, and LSD-25 was put aside until five years later when Hoffman wanted to have another look. He accidentally dosed himself with about 20 micrograms of the drug on April 19, 1943. Mm. Hoffman began to feel the effects an hour later and took to his bicycle and pedaled home. <laughs> he experienced wild swings in perception, coupled with uh, physical, mental, and emotional sensations that both terrified and <laughs> delighted him. He was possessed with the thought that his next-door neighbor was an evil witch and that he himself was going insane. <laughs> What, had he poisoned himself? Was he dying? He called his doctor upon arriving home. Can you imagine getting that, like... <laughs> the first trip. Yeah. The first trip. Like, so this doctor's <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to go over to this guy's... What the hell is wrong? <laughs> what is wrong with you? 
Um, the doctor examined him and found no abnormalities physically <laughs> other than large dilated pupils. What are some of your symptoms? I can taste purple. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the doctor assured him he was not dying in a sense of euphoric well-being and replaced his earlier fears. And uh, he started to feel pretty good. <laughs> Hoffman later related his experience from that point, and I'll do a really shitty German accent here. Little by little, I could begin to enjoy the unprecedented colors and plays of shapes that persisted behind my closed eyes. Kaleidoscopic, fantastic images surged in on me, alternating variegated openings and closing themselves in circles and spirals, exploding in colored fountains, rearranging and hybridizing themselves in constant flux. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's Dr. Fancy words for at a good trip. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so this very first LSD trip, having been experienced on April 19th, uh, a day was named after it called Bicycle Day for, for his little bicycle trip that he took that day. <laughs> what if it, what if this happened while he was taking a dump? What day would it be called then? Poopoo Day. Poop, poop Day. <laughs> poop Day. Uh, so celebrants uh, often dose themselves on, on April 19th to celebrate the first trip uh, and pay homage to uh, uh, to. Uh, unintentional adventurer Albert Hoffman. <laughs> that's a great. Uh, I think it, uh, that's going to be my new rapping name. Unintentional adventurer. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Sure. Unknown to Hoffman at the time, prior to its synthesis, though, ergot poisoning had been used for thousands of years by numerous shaman in ancient cultures to elicit visions and connect with connect with the gods. Not Canuck. <laughs> well, mm. in this particular topic, yeah. Uh, he had simply rediscovered and purified the experience through scientific methods. And you're probably wondering where's the Canadian in this, but we'll get there. Uh, anyway, uh, Hoffman would later refer to LSD as his problem child for reasons <laughs> that will become more evident later on. After more experimentation in Switzerland, the drug was brought to North America in 1949. It began to be used by the psychiatric professions and philosophical seekers. Hmm. The Canadian story of LSD starts in Saskatchewan. What a weird place for that to start. Makes perfect sense to me. Yep. Yeah. In the early 50s, medical addiction ex experts in that uh, province, doctors Humphrey Osmond and Abram Hoffer, began to advocate for the use of LSD as a therapy to aid in the recovery of alcoholics. <laughs> hey, even Tommy Douglas, the founding father of the Canadian Universal Healthcare System, was a cheerleader for the program. Probably why he started it. The father of a friend of mine uh, who listens to this podcast, he'll know exactly uh, that I'm talking about him. Uh, his dad was an alcoholic. He participated in these trials. I, I have no... Damn. I don't know whether or not it worked, but I think his dad died an alcoholic, so... Oh. That's, well. that's not... That's sad. Jeez. Also right. of note, speaking of alcoholics, uh, the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill W., took part. And we will not use his name because he will probably want to remain anonymous. Anonymous. Yeah. The intent was uh, initially to induce a state mimicking the DTs or delirium tremens that would scare alcoholics into abstinence. The results, although vastly different from what was intended, were more positive experiences <laughs> for trial participants. Uh, it was found that LSD could expedite a transformative, transcendental spiritual experience for the subjects. 
Having a spiritual experience to arrest your alcoholism is also the goal of AA's 12 Steps, which is what interested Bill W. after consulting with author Aldous Huxley. Bill W. said of his LSD experience, and I, I don't know a Vermont accent, so I'll just be an old man. I am certain that the LSD experience has helped me very much. I find myself with a heightened color perception and an appreciation of the beauty almost destroyed by my years of depression. The sensation that the partition between here and there has become very thin is constantly with me. I, I must say, Matt, that was a great, a great impression. I'm not Matt. Oh, whatever. Oh, anyway. Bill abandoned the LSD experiments due to controversy surrounding the drug within the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. He refocused his efforts on AA's 12 steps, which although they take considerable more effort to complete, uh, <laughs> they have a more lasting effect than an LSD trip, which usually lasts about 12 hours. <laughs> Uh, the one-day-at-a-time maintenance aim of the 12 steps better ensures an alcoholic sobriety. To the consternation of some of the more conservative and uptight AA members, though, Bill spoke positively of his experiences with LSD throughout his life until his death in 1971. <laughs> Oops. Oh, well. Good for Bill. In 1955, on a trip to Canada's west coast, Dr. Osman, one of the researchers from Saskatchewan, uh, met Dr. Alfred Al Hubbard, the real subject of our story, at the Vancouver Yacht Club for lunch. This was at Hubbard's request. Mm. He'd been communicating with Hoffer, the other uh, researcher, uh, about their LSD experiments for some time, and he wanted to chat with Osman directly about opening a, quote, treatment center in Vancouver to introduce people to LSD and improve their lives. Here's an explanation of the goals of the religious LSD experience from the National Film Board documentary, Hoffman's Potion. In a good LSD experience, what happens is that as you resolve your inner conflicts and the loads and the barriers that have developed, and you begin to reach down into the depths of your own being, you see more and more levels of being, more and more levels of understanding. Often we like to blame our feelings on other people and what they're doing to us. But if I feel it, it's my feeling, and I have produced it, and I'm the only one that can resolve it. And fortunately, these substances allow you to see and recognize this and resolve it. What are your thoughts on that? It seems like everybody who who is an LSD aficionado, somebody who's used it quite free, it's like they develop their own language almost. Yeah, yeah. But it is kind of like the language of the enlightened. It, yeah. I, I won't argue that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I understand what they're talking about. Yeah. That's my point, Mike. Okay. That's my point. I'm sorry. Anyway, we'll go on. Alfred Matthew Hubbard was born in Kentucky on July 24th, 1901. Oh, that's where you got it from. In 1929, Hubbard, an inventor, received a patent for a radioactive spark plug device to be used by in combustion engines. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, not a dummy by any stretch. Oh. 
Uh, it's also said that Hubbard had connections to some nefarious government organizations he apparently worked with and for the Canadian Special Services, the United States Department of Justice, uh, the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, and the Office for Strategic Services, or OSS, during World War II. Some say Al was a spy connected to the CIA. Interesting. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. There are also claims that Al Hubbard may have been involved in MK Ultra, the CIA's mind control slash brainwashing experiments involving the use of high-powered hallucinogens, in particular LSD. It's said that uh, the program was set up to counter a Soviet chemical program aimed at truth extraction. So if they're doing it, we're doing it. Mm. Uh, conspiracy theorists say otherwise, and you can Google all that crap for yourself. I don't want to get into it here. <laughs> uh, yeah, go to talk to Alex Jones or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. MKUltra did have documented Canadian connections as well as some LSD experiments were conducted at the University of McGill in Montreal. But there's no proof that Hubbard was ever involved in that. Uh, a Netflix documentary reenacting uh, a situation where uh, a man dies um, during an MK Ultra experiment uh, called Wormwood uh, is uh, definitely worth checking out if you want to know more. Yeah, that uh, I, I've been meaning to check it out. Errol Morris is one of my favorite directors. It's pretty good. Yeah. I found it. I found it a little. I, it didn't need to be that many episodes. Mm. It, it the pace was a little slow. Yeah, uh, but. It was excellent. It was well done, but it, you know, too, too much. Well, uh, I'll, I'll check it out. There's, so Al's supporters said there's no way that this guy would have been involved in something as sinister as MKUltra. It said that he was more altruistic and kind mm. and his motives were good. Uh, he was called Captain. They, they also called him Captain Trips as well as, <laughs> as well as Acid Al. Um, he was called Captain partially due to his passion for the sea, having a Master of Sea Vessel certification, and he spent time in the U.S. Merchant Marine. He was also uh, shipping heavy armaments from San Diego to Canada prior to the U.S. officially jo joining World War II, and a congressional investigation was looming. So kind of like the Iran-Contra thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, interesting in World War II. Um, to escape prosecution, Al Hubbard moved to Vancouver with all his cash. Good plan, Al. Yeah, sure. Al Hubbard, always a seeker, read an article about what was at the time an obscure drug called LSD-25. He was smitten and set out to learn more. He wanted to have his own LSD experiment. Experience. Well, I guess experiment as well. Yeah. In 1951, Al Hubbard had his first trip on LSD and immediately came to believe in the drug as a means to unlock the potential of the human mind, opening it to yet unexplored horizons. Do you like my writing here? It's written like somebody who has experienced. I have. I am not saying I have, and I'm not saying I have. Oh, I'm just saying that's what it, see, it seems like. I'm not trying to imply anything. Oh, sure. Okay. For him, the experience was profound. He had to share what he'd discovered. A sometimes Catholic, not exactly devout, Hubbard's initial experiences with LSD led him to believe that he was working on behalf of the Virgin Mother, and he was destined to pass LSD on as a key to deep and effective religious experience for users, and in particular other Catholics. It was the only frame of reference that came close to explaining what he was experiencing. So no, I was going to say that's what seems like is happening. You're kind of tripping balls and... Uh, it's like, well, how do I talk about this in a way that other people can relate? 
let's talk about God. Um, unlike many recreational drug users, Hubbard didn't see LSD as an escape, not at all. He perceived it as a tool to explore the inner reaches of his own mind and its deep connections to the entire universe. Hmm. And this reminds me of an old joke. What did the Buddhist say to the hot dog vendor? Make me one with everything? That's correct. Yeah, I'm good at these jokes. <laughs> yeah, especially because it's written in front of you. Shot it. <laughs> Hubbard's slogan regarding LSD was... If you don't think it's amazing, just go ahead and try it. <laughs> you had a lot of confidence in this product. Uh, well, here's the thing, Scott. Uh, isn't that uh, contempt prior to investigation? Have you ever heard that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, we'll carry on. <laughs> Al sought out and spent time with people like Aldous Huxley, uh, the author of the book Doors of Perception, written after an LSD experience of his own. So... There again is Aldous Huxley, who was connected to Bill W. from AA, so interesting. He also met Alan Watts, a famous student of Eastern philosophy at the time. He wrote a lot of books on Zen and things like that. Some pretty righteous dudes. Yeah, right. Uh, Hubbard's charisma drew people to him like flies. He gave LSD to scientists, philosophers, religious ministers, and anyone else he felt could benefit from the experience. And he had no official scientific training to speak of. Uh, some people thought he was an irresponsible quack. <laughs> Others thought he was a genius. He even turned on Timothy Leary. So Timothy Leary's first LSD experience was here in Vancouver with uh, Al Hubbard. How, hmm. about, how about them apples? Wow. Right? And Timothy Leary went on to espouse his philosophy of turn on, tune in, and drop out. And that was the rallying cry of the hippies in the psychedelic 60s. So you can say that Vancouver, or Canada in particular, Vancouver, had a big part to play in the 60s. Damn right we did. Damn you're we You're welcome, old people. Yeah, you're welcome, old people who hate drugs. <laughs> Al Hubbard was nicknamed the Johnny Appleseed of LSD. This was when he formulated his idea for a hospital in Vancouver set up specifically to provide a safe, welcoming setting in which people could, under close supervision, be administered LSD and become enlightened. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> Al Hubbard became the sole licensed Canadian importer of LSD in 1957. He met Dr. Ross McLean, a wealthy investor in Albertan Oil. He was the owner of Hollywood Sanitarium. After his own psychedelic experience, so <laughs> Hal Hubbard turned this guy on too, McLean was convinced uh, that uh, they should start using the Hollywood Sanitarium in New Westminster as the clinic to provide these religious experiences to those in need. Which I'll, I'll mention I grew up next to that place. Not that time of course i'm not i'm old i'm not that old but like, so it's interesting to think like this story like wow I, I know the vicinity so well yeah uh the focus at first was alcoholics and their recovery uh, mirroring the experience experiments in uh, saskatchewan and they claimed some success that about uh, a third of the alcoholics they treated stopped drinking immediately yeah right did they then immediately become uh, lsd Addict? I, I, LSD isn't known to be addictive. Mm, okay. Yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. Maybe psychologically, but I don't think it, it's impossible to become addicted to it. Uh, Chemically? Physically, because uh, it develops a tolerance so quickly. Oh, wow. I have done a lot of reading on this over the past <laughs> wow. couple of weeks. That's fascinating. Yeah. 
uh, so they did want to treat anybody who wanted to experience it. But uh, as someone without alcoholism who was desirous of having a psychedelic journey would be charged uh, 500 bucks in the 50s. So that equals about $3,500 today. Man. Yeah. And here's where I thought I was going to read. No, okay, this is what Al Hubbard was in. Yeah, in yeah, cha-ching. Yeah, but no, he was not in it for the money. He objected to the fees and believed the the trips should be free of charge. But he was overruled by uh, Dr. McLean because there were bills to pay, of course. Again, though, this Al Hubbard was a righteous dude. He sounded like a pretty righteous dude. He was just like this short little fat dude. Huh. Yeah. Well, I, I, the more I hear about him, the more I like him. Right. Yeah, he just seemed like a, a pretty pretty good guy. Like he wanted to help. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, one of the first people who agreed to participate in an LSD experience was J.E. Brown, no relation to me, spelled differently, no E, a Catholic priest at the Holy Rosary Cathedral in Vancouver. <laughs> wow. In a letter to his parish on December 8th, 1957, Brown wrote, We humbly ask our Heavenly Mother, the Virgin Mary, help of all who call upon her to aid us to know and understand the true qualities of these psychedelics, the full capacities of man's noblest faculties and, according to God's laws, to use them for the benefit of mankind here and in eternity. Yep, that own language. It sounded like uh, that minister was uh, pretty into the, into the dope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm regretting No, I'm not going to say it. Okay. Nope. You can no, I don't want to make anybody think they should go to church. No, to take LSD. Oh, I was going to say this makes me regretting. regret not having tried it in my youth. But I don't now want to make kids think, "Hey, I'm I'm technically a youth." No, so yeah, so don't do it. Right, don't do it. I we said at the top of the show that we're not saying anybody should do this. Learn from Mike's mistakes. I didn't. Have we said that I've done it? No, no. I'm saying you've made mistakes in life. Yes. Learn from them. Sure. Blanket, uh, blanket statement. Upon hearing of the LSD treatments in the Hollywood Sanitarium, the British Columbia College of Physicians wanted the clinic closed down. Even therapists and nurses involved in the project were required to take at least two trips themselves before being able to administer the experience to others. <laughs> Hey, you know what? If you haven't been down the path, you can't show others how to get there. Hey, no, it makes total sense. Kind of groovy. It, very groovy. Dr. McLean and Al Hubbard invited Vancouver Magazine reporter Ben Metcalf to come and be a subject of the LSD experience. And uh, Hubbard administered Metcalf's dosage himself and walked him through the trip. Hmm. Metcalf was enamored of the drug and wrote a glowing series in the magazine about his trip, referring to it as the great experience of his life for years afterward. Interestingly, Metcalf went on later to co-found the environmental organization Greenpeace. I'm sure you've all heard of that. Yeah, like, yeah. Do, it, you, do you live under a, a, an unclubbed <laughs> seal? Jeez. <laughs> oh, well, I'm saying unclubbed. Yes, you did. Yes, yeah. which only makes one think of a clubbed seal, really. <laughs> so, you know, thanks, okay. thanks, Mike. So I'm apologizing to all seals at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag seals, too. But uh, the the clubbed seals should be thinking. Al Hubbard, right? Because that they because LSD led to Greenpeace, which led to less less clubbing of seals. Yeah. 
You're, you're welcome, Seals. Club sandwiches, not Seals. Yeah. Paris Hilton had a shirt like that. She's very clever, apparently. Mm. Okay. Anyway, uh, yep. So other reporters had very similar positive experiences and they gave similar positive reviews. <laughs> Frank Ogden, a Vancouver author and futurist, became a cheerleader for the goings-on at the Hollywood Hospital after his own initiation. <laughs> he said of his trip uh, that he had more ideas in a weekend than mo most people have in a lifetime. He became a therapist in the clinic and stayed on from 1961 to 68. Oh. A, a therapist. I guess that's all you need to become a therapist. Hey, I got high. Great. Come on in. Be a therapist. Hang out your therapy shingle and, and put some blotter acid on the side. Oh, I, So far, pretty glowing reviews of LSD. Right? But anyway, this is some interesting dark poutine, I would say. But don't do it. Anyway, he also said, uh, everyone who tripped at Hollywood Sanitarium would have a spiritual experience. Uh, he saw uh, <laughs> more from Ogden. Many of them would say, pulling off the eye, their eye mask, I just saw God. And a lot of the ones that would be depressed would maybe experience dying real early. Then they'd be reborn and they wouldn't have depression. So it was real magic. I'd say, holy Christ, look at this one. <laughs> Like, these, wow. These reviews. It sounds, yeah, like he's tripped out pretty pretty good. Yeah. Here's another clip from the NFB movie Hoffman's Potion describing the Hollywood hospital experience. When the person was accepted to go through the program, he was uh, given an outline to write his history, what problems he had, if he had any health problems, what was the relationship with his parents. What was his childhood like? So then uh, they came to the session and some introductory remarks were made. The importance, for example, of just releasing to the experience and knowing that they had help and could ask questions. And then they were administered LSD. And then we would uh, lie them down on the couch. We'd put headphones on them and encourage an internal journey. And uh, then we would put on music. And uh, we would keep playing the music. And uh, usually it's been the first two, three, maybe even four hours there. And that's what we wanted, for them to go deeply into themselves and explore. Of course, we were taking notes and we had a tape recorder so that everything that was said was recorded. Can I come up for a minute? Certainly, David. So then after four, maybe five hours, so uh, they would feel like coming out and sitting up, so we'd begin to talk. That was magnificent. We would show them pictures of the family so that they could look at them and spend time with them, which is probably, probably the most important part of the session for people who were there for therapeutic reasons. So, thoughts? <laughs> this whole thing... This whole Hollywood sanatorium, LSD, it's just like, I love it. Well, and why, why do you love it, though? Well, I, I put myself like now looking at it, 
because we know what LSD is, we know what drugs are. But when I when okay. I if what, I put myself in their shoes, if I were to go back to that time, yeah, when this is all new, I can completely understand how they would be seeing there's a medical application for this, and how what they were doing was legit science from their perspective. Yep. But now you look at it thinking like, yeah, they were just creating a really good trip environment, man. Sure. They should add some like black light and, you know, Jimi Hendrix wasn't doing his thing yet. I'd say remove the the violin and put some Led Zeppelin in there, but you know. Yep. But yeah, like I, I love it. I just, I love this whole, uh, there's a positive visual that comes from all this in my head. Well, I think the intention was good. I think they were trying to create a good environment. Exactly. For people to maybe dive into their their consciousness in a way that they had never done before. And uh, but but yeah. So and and like, looking to tackle some pretty heavy illnesses like depression and yeah, stuff like alcoholism, that. Alcoholism, like many, many, many yeah, different, I different can, psychiatric illnesses. I can yeah. totally see how at that time you'd be like – this will revolutionize the mental illness. Yep. And some people said it did cure them. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of a lot of what mm. I read said um, these experiences were, were ones that they carried with them mm. uh, later on in life and they overcame their issues. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, not all of them were positive though. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure. They used strobe lights and mirrors to, to help create <laughs> – powerful hallucinations and <laughs> and uh, create more insights for subjects at the hospital. <laughs> at uh, other times, they would uh, enhance things with a little mescaline as oh, well. Oh, dear God. I don't know much about mescaline, but... Uh, well, mescaline isn't quite as powerful as LSD, but uh, uh, it is. it does have its definite uh, hallucinogenic properties. I do. I know Hunter S. Thompson saw bats while on it. This is a bad country. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, yeah. So interesting. Um, so these trips were well documented. I read a lot of them. Mm. Uh, yeah. So in Ogden's book, Shamanic Graffiti, um, he he listed numerous uh, different trips that people had taken. And a lot of them were super positive, like I, I've said. So mm-hmm. um, maybe to contrast things a little <laughs> I will talk about one that wasn't so positive. I can't wait. This guy had a rough time. Oh, no. Uh, So he was a 50-year-old alcoholic businessman from Florida, and they called him subject S77F5. So at 10 a.m., he was given 600 milligrams of mescaline and 200 micrograms of LSD. So we're in for an interesting afternoon. (laughs) Uh So at 10.55, he says, what's the youngest age you've administered this to? So I guess maybe not feeling it yet. Mm. 11 uh, a.m., still and quiet. (laughs) Yeah. 11.25, I feel like I'm suffocating. (laughs) 11.35, I can't breathe. I can't swallow. I'm so dry. And the the notes from the observer say, what are you really thirsty for? Hinting toward his alcoholism, I Mm. would assume. Mm. And then the man says, does everyone have to go through this? <laughs> so at 11.45, uh, Bruckner, Ninth Symphony, Side 2 is playing. Uh, tell M we should have our tin pans back from Dr. T in about two weeks. And he's talking about business or something. So I guess he had tin pans. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, at 12, uh, the patient advised uh, to try and talk less. <laughs> and he said, I'd lose control. And then he was told, so lose it. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Because they're trying to kill this guy's ego, right? Yeah. Like this is what the point of this whole exercise is. At 12.10, they are nightmares. 12.15, not doing anything <laughs> at the moment. Why don't I shave? <laughs> So, hey, you know what? pretty logical Let's give a razor blade to this man who is as high as a kite. (laughs) No, I don't think so. So I guess that didn't happen. I Uh, love how he's efficient. He's an efficient thinker. I have idle time. This would be fantastic uh, opportunity to shave. To shave. (laughs) Uh, At, uh, yeah. At 12.30, he says again, I'm suffocating. Turn off the music. I feel like I'm dying. Can't we stop the music? Uh, the patient was told he must face himself. And he said, I doubt I have the courage to face myself. The patient goes to the washroom. I'm starting to feel sorry for yeah, this guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, at 1,300 hours, uh, he says, this is the darndest thing I've ever been through. Oh, my God. Patient slaps his own face. And uh, when do these uncomfortable feelings stop? Isn't there ever any feeling of well-being in this treatment? <laughs> I must have been hallucinating when I uh, – to have ever gotten here in the first place. I'm a coward. Let's call it off. (laughs) And that was at 1,300 hours. So uh, three hours later, (laughs) uh, he's still at it. Uh, The patient is quiet and still. So (laughs) finally, this guy's getting some rest. Um, He was studying a mirror at 1,900 hours. (laughs) Uh, At 2,000 hours, patient was shook up, doesn't know what to think. 2100 hours. I've gone through a day of agony to find out I've been selfish all my life. Yeah, welcome to being an alcoholic. I'm sick. Holy crap. This poor guy. Well, who's to say he didn't have what the intended outcome was? He just didn't like having to recognize that he's been selfish. Right. Well, fair enough. But bad trip all around for the fella. So the next day at breakfast, he threw up in his eggs. (laughs) He needs a hug. He went away feeling his issues were not resolved. Hubbard and McLean felt he needed more sessions, <laughs> but he refused and left. Aww. Movie stars and entertainers began hearing about this legal wonder drug. It was then legal, uh, called LSD. One of the most notable and vocal was Cary Grant, who took <laughs> at least a hundred trips before the drug was eventually outlawed. Oh, damn, A hundred trips. Wow. Like, I was wondering he could, like, oh, get his, get his brain together. Yeah. Talk about, you know, burnt. Oh, yeah. Here's an excerpt from the 2016 biographical film on Grant's life titled Becoming Cary Grant, a film by Mark Cadell for the Showtime Network in the U.S. Nothing really seemed to give me what I wanted until this LSD treatment. The action of the chemical releases the subconscious so that you can see what transpires in the depth of your mind. Don't know whether I like it or not. LSD made me realize I was killing my mother through my relationships with other women. I was punishing them for what she had done to me. One day, After weeks of treatment, came a day when I saw the light. Oh my God, humanity, 
Please come in. Uh, so thoughts on uh, Cary Grant's, uh, well, the, the narrator reading in Cary Grant's voice. Yeah, he saw a light. <laughs> I <laughs> bet he did. Strobe. Well, you know what, though? It did sound like he had some sort of breakthrough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, however you get there. I do find this a highly, highly intriguing in, yeah. in, in the sense of like, I don't know how to phrase it, like... Uh, I would like to delve deeper into the results of everything that they found or that they, they – Sure. There's lots of books on LSD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So at one point, uh, the U.S. Army came knocking. They wanted to experiment with the drug as a weapon. So here's where that gets a little dark. Mm. Uh, they wanted to control populations they intended to conquer. The Army uh, wanted to – the help of McLean and Hubbard to set up their experiments, but uh, they were turned away because Hubbard didn't want to be involved in any yeah. of that nonsense. Good. The Army did go on to do some research uh, using LSD on their own soldiers, but they abandoned the project when the soldiers decided they no longer wanted to fight and they wanted to resign from the military. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> I, I just want to give those dudes a hug, man. <laughs> oh, Wow. Uh, the rising popularity of LSD as a recreational drug for hippies and young, young hippies led to a moral panic. So, yeah, once it got out of the hospitals and into yeah. the hands of the kids, that's when things started to go sideways. So people got upset, uh, especially Timothy Leary was being vocally reckless about his belief in the drug. Mm. Art Linkletter's daughter, Diane, uh, committed suicide while apparently high on LSD and was unsupervised. Oh, no. Apparently she fell out a window or, you know, thinking she could fly or something like that. You, you know, like, to get heavy for a second, I have a, uh, had a friend a couple of years ago who fairly similar thing happened to him and he passed away. And uh, it, it was, I believe, due to a hallucinogen. But there you yet, go. not yet. I don't think it was ever determined. But. So there you go. Yeah. Like, and this is where, this is why we we think it's a dark part of Canadian history because had Al Hubbard not been espousing the use of it to so many people, perhaps it never would have left the, mm, the laboratory yeah. and ended up in the hands of people who who weren't qualified to use yeah. it. You know, like yeah. they they it wasn't a secure and safe environment. Right. Once so uh, I I knew personally some people who were dosed with it mm. uh, unknowingly, and I watched a person try to pull out their own hair. Really? Were, yeah, she was having a rough time. Jeez. Yeah, so someone put it in somebody's beer at a party. Mm. I, I think if not in the proper mind frame going into it, I, I, I think it could have some pretty well. This is the thing. Negative effects. This for is sure, the thing. It seems so, like. so this is this is the dark part of it. Yeah. This is where we talk about that kind of stuff because, like, seriously, there there there's doctors using these things to try and have an experience, and then there's kids saying. Well, let's listen to jazz music and drop some of this and go for a, you know, a walk along the edge of a building or something like that. Yeah, you're no longer tasting purple. Purple is tasting you. Okay. Anyway, President Lyndon Johnson, not known for his liberalism, signed uh, the Drug Abuse Control Amendment into law in 1966. 
LSD-25 was now a Schedule One substance. Mm. Yep. Uh, simple possession of LSD was a felony, punishable by 15 years in prison. So mm. Hubbard uh, lobbied Vice President Hubert Humphrey, successfully lobbied him, and Humphrey took the cause of LSD into the Senate chambers, uh, but he emerged defeated. Mm. They They thought, let's stick to it. Many point to alcohol and tobacco as having done much more harm than psychedelics like LSD. And truthfully, I kind of agree here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but you know, uh, you don't – I guess it's – those two things are more prevalent and it, there was enough control on this other one that, yeah. that maybe it didn't have a chance to really get – to become a demon like those other two. Yeah. Um, some say the government feared a more enlightened populace, so that's why they outlawed it. Hmm. Which you know, if a you know, like oh, that explains Trump. He's he's enlightened. <laughs> no, he's he's preventing enlightenment. Yeah, he, he's making sure that we don't have an enlightened populace. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, that guy says he's never had a drink and never done drugs. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, well, whatever. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Anyway. The Canadian government followed suit very soon with laws of their own in 1967. Leading the charge against LSD in Vancouver was Pat McGeer, a UBC brain researcher and liberal MLA. That's a member of the legislature uh, mm-hmm. for uh, Vancouver Point Grey. Which uh, I'm sure I still is an affluent, very affluent area now and I'm sure it was back then. Yes, it absolutely was. Uh, so from a blog called pasttense.wordpress.com, uh, they did an article on Acid, Acid Al Hubbard. Hmm. In 1967 speech to the legislature, McGeer demanded that university professors and school teachers who advocated the use of the drug be fired immediately. Wow. Contrary to the opinion of pseudo-experts, he said, LSD does not expand the mind but shrinks it and interferes with the chemical processes of the brain. LSD is a universal, universally terrifying drug, and I am alarmed by its spread into Vancouver high schools. Yet, yeah, well, you know, he has a point. High school is not the place for that. And we're banning all rock and roll and dancing. 50 pounds of LSD is enough to produce mental illness in everybody in North America. This is how powerful it is. It is very powerful. Only a very, very minuscule amount mm. will get you stoned for a very long time. Oh, wow. Well, a long time being 12 hours or so. So you've heard? So I've heard. Yeah. LSD was finally outlawed in Canada in 1967 uh, to avoid prosecution. Al Hubbard had to send his entire supply of LSD back to Sandoz in Switzerland. Yeesh. He was devastated. Hollywood Hospital limped along until 1975. I'm not sure what they were doing, mm. tripping some other way. <laughs> uh, but things were never the same. Between 74 and 78, Acid Al split his time between a ranch outside Vancouver and a home in Menlo Park, California. So that sounded good. Yeah. Not too bad. No. 1978, uh, he tried and failed to get another project off the ground, bringing LSD-25 as a treatment for cancer patients, probably to deal with their fear of like the hereafter. Mm, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Al, Captain Trips Hubbard who became known as the Johnny Appleseed of LSD, died broke on August 31st, 1982, in a trailer park in Casa Grande, Arizona. Oh, what a terrible ending to the story. Well, it is dark poutine. Yeah. Okay. 
Hubbard had personally introduced more than 6,000 people to LSD. Wow. Including scientists, politicians, and intelligence officials, diplomats, and church figures. Hassad Al, who was infamous in some circles as the man whose work with the hallucinogens uh, brought them uh, LSD and, to a lesser degree, mescaline and silo, uh, psilocybin, which is yeah. magic mushrooms, oh, okay. to the pliable minds of the youthful masses in the 60s. He was revered by others as a man who pried open people's minds with a new and exciting transcendental experience facilitated by the controversial drug. That's the story of Acid Al in Hollywood Hospital and Canada's part in the LSD-fueled peace and love revolution of the 60s. LSD does seem to be making a comeback. Uh, you can read a lot of articles on Reddit, uh, how they point to higher productivity through microdosing. Mm -hmm. As well, experts in the psychiatric field are again looking at LSD to, to assist with things like depression. Time will tell if it ever makes a real resurgence. Huh. So I had some experience... Uh, in that, in the area, the actual area where Hollywood Sanitarium was, mm, tell. Uh, Woodlands Hospital, um, we used to be part of my rounds as a security guard. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a mobile security guard and I used to have to walk through uh, this abandoned mental hospital alone at night yep. by myself <laughs> yeah. and check all the doors and those kind of things. So and at that, at that point it was empty? It was empty. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, there was also Maple Cottage Detosh, another building off to the to one of the sides of it. Okay, that is still, and I think was actually part of the Hollywood Sanitarium. Now it's a detox center for alcoholics and drug addicts. Oh, okay, hmm. yeah. So I guess it continues on in some weird way. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So. If you'd like to learn more about this and other episodes of Dark Poutine, check out our website, www.darkpoutine.com. If you have any story ideas, questions, comments, or just want to say hi, you can reach us via email at darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, send us send us more stuff mm -hmm. so we can cram it on the beginnings and ends. If you have the, like, if you had, want to do an intro for us, you can do that. Yeah. If you want to do, um, want to do, uh, a promo for your own podcast by all means send it to us we will also insert one of those at the end of this episode um so anyway uh please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast directory if you're so inclined it'd be awesome if you left a five-star review and comments on itunes every little bit ha helps oh my god every little bit helps it does yes it really does and we love it and if you don't do it I will come and get you. That's not nice. Well, it needs to be done. Don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Thank but you, everybody. Thanks. Oh. And we're about to listen to uh, Courtney and Ashley from the Cult of Domesticity or Domestic Podcast. Uh, they're at domesticpodcast.podbean.com. Um, and they'll tell you where else to find them. We'll also link to them and Occulte Veritatis in our show notes. Hey, Courtney. Hey, Ashley. Do you love hearing about true crime and history and other fun stuff? Oh, you know I do. Well, good, because that's what we talk about every week on the Cult of Domesticity podcast, so I'm glad that you enjoy it. Oh, I probably should have known that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Tell them where to find us. Well, we're available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, and other fun places. New episodes come out pretty much every Thursday. So be there or be square. <laughs> 